Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. excited about what we are calling Covenant Sunday. We've never done this before. This is the first time in our 23 years history that we've done Covenant Sunday. And I, for one, am a little bit ramped up about it, I have to say, um, because um, we come together this afternoon at five o'clock and we're going to align together under the Lordship of Christ and His glorious kingdom. That's a beautiful thing to do. Um, So what tonight's going to consist of, we have a couple of songs I'm going to share a little bit, it'll tell you in a minute or two. Um, then Dave's going to lead us in communion, in, the, in a prayer together, and in the covenant prayer and in communion together, and that's it. And then we're going to have tea and coffee um, together. It's just a short service. That's why we're saying um, about bringing your kids and all, because Dave has worked really hard uh, on the prayer and then um, putting in procedures for uh, families and under 18s and stuff like that, where it's always been a little bit of a gray area about what age we, we do believe in and belong in. So um, Dave has worked hard um, putting that all together for us. So we appreciate what he's done in that. And it's really, really good. And I think you're going to be excited about it. You may be asking this morning, why are we doing this? Um, and <clears throat> over, I suppose over the last two years, really, since we planted in Portadown, over the last couple of years, we have... Um, We've really been teaching much on the New Testament church, especially through the eyes of the Apostle Paul, who, um, according to Ephesians 3, was given the manifold wisdom, the Bible tells us, to teach the mystery and to develop the management of these little households of faith that we know as to be the local church. And, um, and so we are fully persuaded as a leadership team here in Emmanuel that the mandate and framework for the establishment of local church is not man-made. It's come straight out of the pages of the New Testament. And uh, one of the profound passages that teach us that is this one among many, but this is probably one of the most powerful in Ephesians 2. And it says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're not strangers anymore. You're not Um, He said, you're not far out, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by a spirit. So the answer why we're doing Covenant Sunday, why we're praying this prayer this afternoon is we are the church. We are the church. And so some people have said, well, is covenant not too strong a word? No, 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 no. We covenant together under the Lordship of Christ to to love one another. Does it tie you in that you can never leave here? No, no, no. It doesn't do that. God calls you somewhere. We will lay hands on you and release you. But we're saying, while you're here, while you're here in this body, covenant together to love one another as Christ loved the church. That's what covenant together is about. And covenant is just a deep commitment, is committing to one another. It's interesting even when you look at the marriage situation, Relate, which is a magazine which talks, which is like um, secular counseling, I suppose, um, it's not Christian-based, really, but Relate actually say that a couple who cohabit 
are four times more likely to separate than, than a couple who covenant. Interesting, isn't it? So a couple that cohabit. So if we just cohabit, if we're just the people that come together like a church and just cohabit, but we don't covenant together to love one another, that we call out things in one another, that we, we call out things and say, hey, I see this in you and it's scaring me a little bit. I want you to do that with me. I want the guys who love me well to say, Phil, I see in this or I'm spotting this. Or, um, and we do that because we love one another. We do it as because we care and because we love. So what we're going to do, uh, we're going to look at these three sections. The third one I'm going to look at really quickly this afternoon. It'll take me about 10 minutes um, this afternoon, and then we'll get into um, uh, communion and praying our prayer together. But I'm going to look at the first two this morning before I drop a couple of thought, other thoughts that I want to say to you this morning. So number one, the covenant community. What is a covenant community? Of course, it's a kingdom family. And we see this great verse, a new command, I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. See the language? By this everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you've good worship, that you've good meetings, that you preach well, that you're you're a good welcome team. All of those things are wonderful, but he said, no, no, no. People, you'll know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And as we read through the Old Testament, it doesn't take you very long to become aware that God always wanted intimate relationship, always from the beginning. He was always looking at a community of people. God always wanted a family, always wanted a family. He always wanted to father a family. And so the word God used to describe the love and commitment that glued these relationships together throughout the Bible is this word covenant. It's not a scary word. It's a relationship bound together by a deep promise. That's what it is, a relationship bound together by a deep promise implying the giving of yourself to the other. That's what it's all about. And so God continually expressed his loving desire for this to be with his people through these covenant terms. And in doing so, he was inviting his people to surrender their lives to him in order that they could, he could love them uh, the way he really wanted to. And so the, the reason we don't get loved the way God wants to love us is that our blockages push him out. And so, and so he said, if you let this love in, then naturally it will overflow. That's, that's what will happen. Naturally, it will fill the cup and then the overflow will, will spill out on other people. And so that's why he said you need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's not, he's saying you need to, it's not saying you need a big ego, absolutely opposite. He's saying, but you need to understand the love of God that fills the cup, and then what flows over actually blesses other people. And so um, we know that uh, the Ultimately, the children of Israel, you know the God story, the children of Israel didn't live up to that at all. They were not able to fulfill the covenant terms of God's heart, and it just repeatedly was broken by their own faithfulness constantly. And, uh, and just eventually then what happened under the new covenant, the longing of God, as such as ultimately seen in the arrival of Jesus on planet earth that we just celebrated there at Christmas, and then the ultimate... Um, sort of climax to that was after Jesus' life was his death and resurrection and ascension and God's unconditional love been poured out upon us and through his atoning sacrifice that we're going to remember this morning or the, this, this evening around communion, 
is allowing us to enter into this covenant of relationship with God where the veil was rent and God gets out, we get in. It's the beautiful thing, all right? And so it's really, really lovely. And the incredible news for us as individuals is that we must remember that God just doesn't call us into this for ourselves. He calls us into this as a community. So it's a community, it's a family together. And so it's really important that we understand this. And before Jesus went to the cross, of course, we know that he celebrated the Passover um, meal with his disciples. And he asked them, as we've just read, to love one another, love one another. And in and through that new covenant that was being made through his own blood. And so he instructed them to keep on having the meal that we're going to have tonight um, as this example of remembering the sacrificial love of Christ for us and entering into that sort of friendship of community together, which is very powerful. And so, unfortunately, what has happened, the modern church, by and large, has taken membership wrongly. It becomes a sort of an idea where it reduces membership to paying dues or, 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 or maybe just getting some little higher benefits um, enjoying some inner circle benefits, etc. But God has always longed for community committed to Him and to one another that goes much further than the contract. He longs for us to count the cost and give up our terms, as it were, to love one another, not just to be selfish with it all, but actually to, to give and to give and to give. And we're called into one body. The Bible often tells us that. There's a great verse in 1 Corinthians I think I have it on, yes. And for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. You see, Paul doesn't say the church is like a body. He says the church is a body. We are a body. We're not just supposed to act like a body. We are a body. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we've all made a drink into one spirit. So joined by this spirit, this type of community, individuals, we're not just trying to leverage stuff for our own good. We're actually, it's a devotion to others, and that's why we're doing the covenant um, today. This is a great quote of John Tyson's, which I loved. It says that God's very nature is relational. And so he is best reflected, not merely in our individual lives, but in the context of community. So it's important to have strong family. It's important if you're in a family, and you probably are, I'm sure, there's nothing better than a strong family. And so as a church, we want to be a strong family because it's in that it is because of that essential divine quality that God uses the covenant community to bring up no less than the renewal of the world. And so this is what will change the world. This is what changes the world. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. So it's really, really important. So that's the first one, the covenant community, the kingdom family. The second one is just the way of community. And basically, I don't have very much to say on that this morning because we've taught on that for four months right along this wall, these six statements along the wall. Dave and I have been teaching on them, as I say, for four months, embedding them, trying to embed them into our lives that they become the way of life. They become the, the way of life because we see these as a leadership, we've defined these as the ways of Jesus. And so you will have seen this slide often over the last year. We wanted to get this into your psyche that, that, that discipleship is following Jesus in all of life. So hence the marriage course. Discipleship is having strong marriages. Discipleship is alpha course, lead, bringing other people to Jesus. Discipleship is um, trusting God in your finances. Discipleship is how to raise your family. Those are all things. How to follow Jesus 
in all of life, and we taught them through these six principles, um, prayer and worship, creativity, generosity and hospitality, mercy and justice, mission and discipleship. And um, so those are really, really important, and you've, we've, we've talked so much on those, I don't want to um, uh, elaborate much on that this morning. What I want to take about 15 minutes or so at the end here this morning is talk to you about this, all right? Because next Sunday is Vision Sunday, and then we've got Celebrate Craig Evan over in, the, um, over in Brownlow uh, at 5 o'clock. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about how to prepare for a new decade. How do you prepare for a new decade? I've always sort of lived in decades a little bit, and I'm 61, so I'm sort of into this 60 decade now. So, But I... I it's sort of the 2020 thing sort of kicked me into decade again, even though I'm a year out of it, if you know what I mean. But So I wanted to talk to you about how to prepare for a new decade. You know, so if you think about the last 10 years, think about the last 10 years. Some of you have been doing that Instagrammy thing, you know, photo now and a photo 10 years ago. Some of you need to know it wasn't a good idea. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, sorry, I'm only joking. Um, uh, and 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 uh, what, what were you doing? What were you doing ten years ago? Who were you with? Um, think about the people who were with us ten years ago who aren't with us anymore. Think about the fact that you are still here. That's really important, and and it'd be important maybe to take a few minutes and just thank God for that because the Bible actually says, "In all things, give thanks." It doesn't say, "For all things." There's some things that. I'm sure you don't want to bow your head and say, God, thank you that happened, but you can give thanks in it. You can say, God, thank you that you brought me through that. Thank you, God, that you were real in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that grief, in the midst of that brokenness, that you were real, that you were there. So it's really, really important, all right? So what I want you to do, I want you to turn in your Bibles or in your phone app to Luke 5. I'd love this year, 2020, you to start bringing your Bibles. I know we, we, we're so technical now everything's in screen, and I'm purposely now putting this in screen because I'd love you to look at it, and if you've got a Bible and a pen, I'd love you to think about bringing a Bible and pen and, and mark. It's good to write over your Bibles, and, and well, if you like doing that, but I do, but I think it's really important that you do that. Luke 5, I'm going to read a few verses from verse 33, and if you want to keep them open, I'm making a few remarks about it, just three little things that I think I want to show you this morning. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, well, can you make friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. Then he told them this parable, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one, otherwise they will have, a torn, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, um, 
We know the Lord will always bless and honor the reading, the public reading of his word, and we know that today will be no exception. And the analogy here is he's talking about new wine and old wineskins. And what had happened was the new wine, there's fermentation in new wine, and new wine expands. So when it goes into the thing, it will expand. The problem, if you put it into an old wineskin, an old wineskin has already been expanded all right, by the fermentation of the wine that was in it before, it has already expanded. It's at its maximum. It can't go anymore. It's got dry and it's got stiff. And so what will happen is if you put new wine into the old wineskin, the new wine will begin to ferment and begin to move. And then the problem is there's no room in the old wineskin for it to grow and it will break. And then the problem when it, when it breaks, when it bursts, both are lost. That's the travesty of it. Both are lost. The wineskin's lost and the wine's lost. So this is the story. And so he's saying here, um, he, he, he's saying here there's something about this analogy. This is if you have a, a Bible that's modern, um, you'll notice uh, if there's a, 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 at the beginning of chapter five, Jesus calls his first disciples. So Jesus is just calling his disciples, and all of these old disciples of John, and the Pharisees are all fasting. And so the question is, how come your boys aren't fasting? And I love Jesus' answer. I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, well, why would the fast? Why would the fast? I'm here. Fasting is to build a relationship with God, but in case you hadn't noticed, I'm here. And so there's, there's something about this. And so God is Jesus is trying to bring their, open their eyes to a new thing. He said something new is happening. God is always doing something new. I loved uh, Charles is here, but we all remember Anne's video. Anne, you pictured that we loved. And Anne said this, she said, I wrote this down. Even when it's over, it's not over. It's only just begun. And for this year uh, past, that was a beginning, a new beginning for Anne as we know well. And as a believer, the best years are always ahead of us. No matter where you are in life, the best years are always ahead. Always. Even on your deathbed, if you're a believer, the best years are still ahead. That's incredible. Um, I, a couple, I have a couple of stories around um, elevators and, and all of that sort of stuff. But I was in London with my son, Philly, um, about a year ago, and we were going up one of those big elevators, or whatever you call them, escalators, not elevators, escalators, that go up out of the depths of the underground. And we were going up the, this, uh, es uh, this escalator, and I noticed a, an elderly gent in front of me that seemed quite nervous. And um, I was keeping my eye on him, and as we got to about, maybe about six or eight foot from the top of the escalator, he took a step back, and he stepped off the step. And I, I don't know whether, uh, maybe it was just God, had, I was keeping my eye on him, but as soon as he stepped off the step, he fell, and I caught him like he'd catch a baby. I was, I was, I was so proud of myself. <laughs> Bounced him three times and threw him. No, I didn't. Uh, um, I caught him, I caught him just like this, and uh, so I, we go on up to the top of the escalator, and, and sort of, I stepped off the escalator with this man in my arms like this here, Philly's looking and saying, Dad, what are you doing? And then I just popped him onto his feet. And the wee man looked around and he goes, thank you. And off he walked. And um, it made me think, actually, it made me think that people don't do endings well. In, in general, we don't do endings well. Endings are difficult. But here's the thing. 
in kingdom theology, there's no ending. There's always a new beginning. There's always a new thing. Always something new. In kingdom theology, there is no end. It's always a new thing. And God's doing a new thing. And He's always doing a new thing. And so there's something so beautiful about this. And so, and, and all of us, all of us want to understand that. You say, well, how do you know? Well, in this room, we've all got breath in our body. And the Bible says, everything that is breath, let everything that is breath praise the Lord. So we need to understand that God's doing something new in us. And you're still here in 2020. And God wants to do a new thing. And that's why we want to come together tonight and at five o'clock and covenant together to, to live a deeper, purer life for Him and challenge one another and do this thing together. So it's important. And so the challenge is challenging myself as well, challenge all of us, shame on us if we've developed a plan for 2020 for our, our, our health, for our weight, for our business, and we haven't thought about our soul. We haven't thought about the, de the deepening of our relationship with God. There's something about that that we need to understand. So what I, I want to do, I want to show you three simple tools, all right? Three simple tools that I think God is speaking to us at the beginning of this year, this um, first Sunday of the new year. Here's the first one. I want us to think about eyes that see. Now you look at the text, all right? They're asking Jesus about why the Pharisees of John fast, and Jesus, you know, the point of fasting, the point of fasting, you'll know this, the point of fasting is to get closer to God. So that's the point. Why you fast is you want to deepen your relationship and get closer to God. But I love Jesus' answer. He's saying, you don't need to fast because I'm here. You don't need to sacrifice to get next to me at the minute. All you need to do is show up. And he uses this analogy of the wedding that you don't come to a wedding to fast, you come to a wedding to celebrate. And so the problem was here for these Pharisees and, and, and even the disciples of John, they didn't see it. They just didn't see it. There was a new thing right in front of them, a new thing God was doing, and they were so stuck in an old mindset of church and religion that they couldn't see it. Because you see, what they did, what the Pharisees did, was they, they fasted on a Tuesday and Thursday, every week, religiously. And so because Jesus didn't turn up, I, I'm, I'm preempting here, all right? I'm just using my imagination. So when Jesus turns up on a Wednesday or Friday, they just don't get it because he doesn't turn up in their mindset. He doesn't turn up in the way they're thinking. And here's the point. There is no point of you looking for God to do a new thing if you're not willing to see him in a new way. And God's doing things in a new way. And here, these guys, their commitment to religion had just eclipsed their ability to see their invitation to relationship. And, and they were so consumed with their system, they couldn't see their Savior. And, and so he was right there in front of them, right there. Now, if you go on to Google, you will find hundreds of companies who, who didn't innovate in the last 10 years. Innovation is the ability to think ahead. And... Um, there's loads of them. I, I did this yesterday morning early. And uh, like, for instance, Nokia. Put your hand up in here if you ever had a Nokia phone. Put your hand up if you ever had a Nokia phone. Now put your hands down. Put your hand up now if you still have a Nokia phone. Nobody. There was two in the first service. Two still had them. I'll give you their names. Um, uh, Blackberry. Put your hand up if you ever had a Blackberry phone. Put your hand down. Hand up if you still got a Blackberry phone. Nobody. 
Amazing, isn't it? What happened to these companies? There's loads of them. Kodak, Kodak was an interesting one. Kodak actually uh, pioneered the first digital camera, but they were so afraid to release it because they knew it would take away from their business. They hid the secret away, and then Polaroid came and beat them to the mark. Toys R Us jumped in way too late into innovation. Here's an interesting one. Anybody remember Extravision? Remember the day when you wanted to watch a movie? You had to go and rent the video? And that doesn't, like it seems like, it seems like, like caveman age, doesn't it? It's not that long ago. Remember you went and there was a horror section and there was a comedy section and then there was the new releases. Everybody went to the new releases. I remember you stood and you had a movie that you wanted to see and you went to the new releases and they were all gone and you went to the guy and said, and he said, aye, they're all out. And you said, is there any due back today? Oh, aye, there's a couple of due. And I, well, I'll wait. You waited. <laughs> waited for the movie coming back in. And then what you did was you took the movie home and you watched the movie, but there was time limit on it. Do you remember? You had to have it back by two o'clock or it was the weekend. I think you were allowed it over the weekend. Had to be back by two o'clock on Monday or something like that. And if it didn't go back, you got a late fee. And you had to rewind it before you took it back. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, here, when you hear this, the American equivalent of, of Extra Vision was a company called Blockbuster. Listen, me is me. All right, they had 90,000 employees at the, at the peak of their career, 90,000 employees, over 6,000 stores. Their profit per year was $6 billion. What about that, Lanny? $6 billion a year, right? They, they made $8 million a year in late fees. Anybody ever get a late fee? Anybody ever lend somebody their card and then go to hire a video and the, the guy said, sorry, there's a charge, there's a late charge, and that, that ever happened to anybody? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, in 2000, in the year 2000, a little firm, a little small firm called Netflix approached Blockbuster and said, look, w- we think, we, think we, have, we have a bit of innovation about what's happening to the video home entertainment system, and if you buy us for 50 million now, they're making $6 billion a year. If you buy us for $50 billion, we'll, we'll show you how it's done. And they laughed them out of the room. The, one of their ideas was about how you would post. The, the, they, would, they would bring a bag where you, when you watched the movie, you could actually put it in a bag and post it back. And they said, get it back in time. We don't want it back in time. We're making $800 million a year on late fees. Why would we want the video back in time? And all of these things, now you Everybody in the room, I'm sure, has heard of Netflix. And, and, and what, happened was, what happened was they laughed Netflix out of the room, and within two years, Blockbuster, 90,000 jobs were lost, 6,000 stores were closed. And this is true. Google this when you go home, all right, because you'll think I'm bluffing you. The last movie they ever rented out of their last store before they, closed, before they closed the store was a movie called This is the End. True, true story. The problem was, the problem was something new was happening in front of their eyes, and they were so stuck in an old system they missed it. And the, you, you go on to the Fortune 500 companies. It's, it's, it's interesting. And someone noted, I, I love this. Someone noted that the problem was, this is what Netflix said about them. They said their problem was that they thought they were in the video business, 
instead of the home entertainment business. And um, I thought, wow, here's the point. They had the wrong identity. And if you don't have the right identity, you'll never get into the right mission. Wrong identity, wrong mission. Right identity, right mission. And these people had the wrong identity. And if you get that one wrong, you get it all wrong. You see, God is doing a new thing, and we need eyes that can see. And, and, and here's the startling news, and here's the scary news this morning. You could miss it. You could miss it. And I haven't time this morning to tell you about people like, like Adam. Do you think he maybe missed it a little bit? Or, or Samson? Or Solomon? Or Judas? Or Ananias and Sapphira? On and on I could go. Scripture's littered with people who missed it because not only did they not have eyes to see, but they, they lost their spiritual alignment. Something happened. And so the challenge for 2020, the challenge for this new year is having eyes that see. See what's right in front of you. you and, and a spiritual alignment. You see, there's something about there's something about spiritual alignment. I love this verse, and it's very special to me. In Isaiah 43, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you, do you notice that, we, that last line? Do you notice that last line? Do you not perceive it? Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? You see, folks, there's indicators. There are indicators. We should be sensing it. We should be feeling it. We should be feeling that God's doing a new thing. Here's the problem, though. You will never feel it in your flesh. You only feel it in the spirit realm. And that's why the Bible calls us to walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. There's something about walking in the Spirit, understanding that. And then our, our last little point is letting go of the old. And I preached a little bit about this last week, and I just want to, to hit it again for a moment or two. If Paul were here, you see, here's the verse again. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. If the apostle Paul were here, he would put it this way, leaving those things which are behind, straining, straining. Get the word pressing forward to what lies ahead. There's work to be done. It's not just going to come at you. It's not just beam me down or beam me up, Scotty. There's something to pursue. You say, we, we, we quote this verse, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We quote it wrong. It says, submit your will unto God. Submit your way, submit your life unto God resist the devil. We, we miss the flip side of the coin. There's something to be pursued. There's something to be strained into. There's something to be pressed into. And so there's something about, there's so much for us. I felt, I, I was in prayer on Christmas Eve for a little while, and I felt God say to me, I felt this really true. I felt God say to me, he said, Phil, could you believe me for a thousand souls this year? I said, yeah, God, I could believe you for that because you're God. I can believe you for anything. A thousand souls. And like you think, wow, that's a lot, Phil, but there's there's eighty thousand in the Greater Craig Avon area. There's people there's people going to hell every day. And we're running an alpha course now at the end of January. So there's much to be done. There's much to be strained for. And if we just live with a pipe dream, then it never really comes to fruition. Now Sarah's gonna come and finish us with a song, and I'm gonna tell you a story while they're coming to set up because he's doing a new thing. All right? And here's a story. Um, you know, I like, I, I like some good old movies, and uh, I've watched a couple over holidays, Saving Mr. Banks. 
great movie, um, was my favorite over the whole holidays. That was definitely good. Um, but one of the oldies was a, a movie called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Anybody here of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Okay, I'm feeling a bit out of it here. Um, it, was, it was actually written by a guy called um, James Thurber, and it was written uh, way back in, in 1939, released firstly about 1945. Danny Kaye was the, was the actor, he was the main actor of this Walter Mitty. And then it was released again in 2013. I haven't seen the new one. Um, ben Stiller acted it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. But Walter Mitty's a shy guy who worked in the sort of same mediocre job all his life. And what happens to him is he often zones out and he daydreams. In one of his daydreams, he dreams he's a surgeon doing like heart surgery. He dreams he's sailing a ship in a storm. All of these daydreams, these amazing things happen to him, but they're just only ever daydreams. And um, what he does is, I'm racking the movie, but it's 1939, you've had all the time. Um, he signs up to a dating website. He signs up to a dating website because there's a girl at work that he fancies. And he's trying to find out chat up lines to chat this girl up at work. And so he's signing up to a dating agency. And while he's signing up to the dating agency, there's a little section about, um, about putting under his profile his hobbies and experiences. And he's nothing. He has no hobbies. He's no life experience. And he's just so sad about this. And and then the story takes a bit of a twist. There's a photo goes missing at work and he gets accused wrongly of this and he's to go and try and find out who took this photo. And in his travels, he begins to travel. He travels to Iceland and Greenland and the Himalayas, which all have sort of life-threatening experiences in them. And, and, and then what happens in all of these experiences, the profile, his profile starts to write itself. Now you've all went quiet on me. You see, when you start to do something, actually your profile begins to write itself. And they'll say, oh, Dave, isn't it? Didn't, didn't Dave, one of the lead pastors in Emmanuel, didn't Laura, didn't Laura light up links? All of, all of a sudden, our, our, our experiences begin to write the profile for us. And something begins to happen in this. And so what happens is the most valuable life lesson within this story is this, that all visions can become a reality if they have the courage to pursue them. All of your dreams, all of your visions have the potential to come true if you've just got the guts to pursue them. And there's a great line in the movie, and this is what it says. It says, it's no good just dreaming about what could happen. We need to take the first step and actually pursue what we want. And so my question to you this first Sunday of 2020 is this. What do you want? What do you want from God? Because I'm telling you, whatever you want from Him, He's got. Whatever you want from Him, He's got to give you. If it's full of integrity and honor and purpose, is, is about other people, not just for selfish gain. I'm telling you, whatever you ask him, he's God. And so what we're going to do, um, just before we sing, I'd love us to bow our heads for a moment, and I'm going to fulfill what I promised God I would do this new year. And uh, I'm in a crowd this size, there's maybe someone in the room who has never made a commitment to Christ. Never actually said, God, I'll follow you. And this first Sunday of the new year could be your Sunday to say, 
I need to get that sorted out first and foremost. I am not right with God. I am not in a right place with God. I have never made a commitment to him. And if that's you, I'd love you to slip your hand up right now. I'm going to give 30 seconds for this. And then what I'd love to do, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything. I'd love to have a conversation with you after. Is that fair enough? So I'm going to give 30 seconds. You have 30 seconds to change your life. Never made a commitment to Christ. And this morning, I want to do that. Not even sure how to do it, but I want to do it. 20 seconds. Ten seconds. What I'd love us to do, I'd love us to worship. And um, if, if ever there was a song I would have written, I would love to have written this one. It's a, it's a song relatively new to us, I suppose, but it's Waymaker. Some of you will know it. And here's some of the lines moving in our midst. He's here, moving in our midst, here, working in this place, healing every heart, turning every life, mending every heart. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper light in the darkness my God that is who you are I'd love you to sing that as a prayer he's a miracle worker he's a way maker he's a promise keeper and some of you even maybe have lost promises you've given up on them and this is a new decade new time to open your eyes get into spiritual alignment get rid of some old stuff stuff that's holding it back get rid of it and allow God to be the promise keeper he truly is and the way maker. So let's stand and let's worship and then we pray when our time's over. Thanks, sir. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.